Wildwood Community Church exists to shine as light in our homes, in our community, and in our world. To contact us or for more information, see our website at wildwoodchurch.org. Well, if you would, please take out your Bibles now and turn in them in the New Testament to the book of Philippians and chapter number 4. If you don't have a Bible with you, you can find one under a chair in front of you, and you can turn in that Bible in the back portion of page 156, and you would find yourself at Philippians chapter 4. We've been studying the book of Philippians, which we have subtitled, Spiritual Essentials for a Joyful Life. How many people want to have a joyful life? We all do. Well, the spiritual essentials for that are laid out for us in this book. And we've come to chapter 4, and I believe that the theme of chapter 4 is this, maintaining right choices is vital in the spiritual life. The choices you make, make you. Your life experience, my life experience is really a sum of the choices that we make. And so we're going to talk about choices this week and in the coming weeks. And I'm going to share with you some interesting quotes around the theme of choices. The first one is from Joanne Kathleen Rowling. She says this, It is our choices that show what we truly are, far more than our abilities. You see, you can have great ability and add to that poor choices, and you have an adverse outcome. So he's going to talk about in this chapter right choices, and the first right choice that we come to is this, choose to diffuse disharmony. Choose to diffuse disharmony. Warren Wearsby tells us a story of what happened with his family one time. His daughter had come home from school, jumped off the school bus, came in through the front door and slammed the front door. And then she went angrily up the stairs into her room and again slammed the door. All the time, as she came in the house, went up the stairs and into her room, she was muttering under her breath, people, 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 people. And so he said, I need to talk with her. So he went up to her door and he knocked softly and said, may I come in? Her reply, no. He said, again, I tried, but she was even more belligerent. No! And then he said to her, why can't I come in? And her answer was, because you're a people. People. People frustrate us. We frustrate ourselves. And wherever you have people, you are going to have disagreement and you're going to have conflict. With people, conflict is inevitable, but combat is optional. And we have a conflict that are behind the verses we're going to examine today in chapter 4, verses 2 to 5. And I want to read through these verses. Just think about what conflict is happening here. And then I would invite you to follow along as I read what Paul writes. He says in verse 2, I urge Euodia and I urge Syntyche to live in harmony in the Lord. Indeed, true companion, 
I ask you also to help these women who have shared my struggle in the cause of the gospel, together with Clement also and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your gentle spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. Now, before we dive into these verses, I want you to bow with me in just a short word of prayer. And as you're bowing, I want to ask you to do something that's a little bit different. I want you, with your head bowed, to just open up your hands, palm upward. So we're going to pray with our palms upward. And the idea here is this is just going to be signaling to the Holy Spirit that we're going to be open to what the Holy Spirit wants to teach us in these next few moments. Not what He wants to teach somebody else that comes to our mind, but what He wants to teach us. So let's pray. Father in heaven, we want to now open our hearts to You. We can trust You. And we ask that as we go into the Word of God that is living and powerful, that You would teach us what we need to hear and learn. And we'll give all the glory and honor to Jesus Christ, and we pray these things in His name. Amen. Now, when you look at chapter 4, verses 2 to 5, I think the theme here is that we are to live in peace with one another. We are to make peacefulness a priority. We are to choose to diffuse disharmony in our life. Now, one of the first things we realize is, well, what's actually going on here? We think about that. What could be the issue? What is the current conflict? But before we even get there, I want us to pause again for a moment, and I want you to think about a current conflict in your life. And if it helps you to close your eyes to do this, fine. I want you to think about a current conflict or a recent conflict, and as you do that, I want you to picture a face that would come to mind who would be your partner in this conflict. And while you're thinking about that conflict, I want you to ask yourself this question. Did I handle this conflict in God's way? Did I handle it in God's way? And I think Paul's going to lay out for us some principles, some elements in how we can handle it God's way. And we're going to see four things. I'm going to show you four elements that come out of these verses on how to choose to diffuse disharmony. The first one is going to be we need to make it a priority. The second one is utilize help. The third one is keep perspective. That's going to be a very important one. And then the fourth one is be considerate. If we're going to choose to diffuse disharmony, we need to follow these four elements that Paul brings out. So let's look at them with our own conflict in mind. Element number one is if we're going to choose to diffuse disharmony, we need to make it a priority. We see that, I think, in verse 2. And we know that there's some people involved in this conflict. They're named Euodia and Syntyche. Who are these people, and what's really going on in this conflict that Paul is addressing? Well, the who we simply know by two people, two women who are named here. Um, one is called Euodia, and those of us who've come along in English and, and thought maybe there's another way to uh, name these women that might be more reflective of their attitude, they would say, well, Euodia ought to be called odious, 
which really means hateful, and Syndicate, well, we could call her soon touchy. She was a touchy kind of a person. Who are these ladies? Well, this is the only mention of them in the New Testament. And before you start thinking, well, you know, that was some rather shallow, unspiritual women, or maybe some of us um, who are out there thinking, well, you know, women, they have these kind of conflicts. They're overly sensitive. I want you to know something about these gals. These gals were key leaders in the church. In fact, sometimes I think we dismiss how much, which was a contrast to the day in Judaism, Paul utilized women in his ministry. I want you to keep your finger here and go with me to the book of Romans, to the left, several books, and chapter number 16. And I simply want to underscore the fact that Paul utilized women in key ways in his ministry. And we learn of this in, in Romans chapter 16 and verses 1 and 2. He mentions by name a gal by the name of Phoebe who had key roles that she played in the ministry that she had with Paul. And then in verse 3, we see Priscilla or Prisca, the same person mentioned, who were fellow workers with him in Jesus Christ. And then in verse 6, he mentions Mary, who worked hard in the ministry. And then in verse 12 of chapter 16, he mentions Tryphena and Tryphosa and Persis, all of whom were women who were involved in leadership roles, key leadership roles in his ministry. Paul utilized women. In fact, if you remember the story, if you go back to the book of Philippians um, of how the church in Philippi was started, it was started with a Christian, a leading Christian businesswoman by the name of Lydia who had the gospel shared. She responded, and then she actually opened up her home to be the central meeting place of this newly formed church in Philippi. So we have here not just two women who are unspiritual, we have two women who are spiritual leaders, Yodia and Syndiki. And I want you to notice what he says about them in verse 3. He talks about these women, he says, who shared my struggle in the cause of the gospel. Very colorful language here. Um, that phrase, struggle, is a phrase right out of the gladiator arena. He's saying, these women were spiritual warriors with me in the ministry of the gospel. They are significant leaders, and these significant leaders had a conflict. They had a disagreement. And so he says to them in verse 2, it's very interesting the way he phrases this. He says, I urge Yoodia." And I urge Syntyche. It's almost like he's reaching through time and space and he's talking to each one individually. Yoodia, Syntyche, please listen to what I have to say. And by the way, I think the very fact that he addresses them in this way implies that they had likely stopped talking to one another, that they'd had a conflict, they'd had some sort of a squabble, they'd had some sort of clash, and they were unwilling to budge. 
They were in the middle of a stubborn standoff. And by the way, even leaders can find themselves in the midst of that. So he says, Yodia, Sintiki, I urge you each to live in harmony in the Lord. Live in harmony, he says to them. If I could translate it into the vernacular of today, settle your disagreement, Yodia, Sintiki, settle your disagreement. Keep your finger here. Go back with me to the book of Romans. We were just there, so you should be able to find it relatively easily. Back to Romans chapter 12 and verse 18. And we find out that this idea is a high priority. These themes keep coming up in the New Testament. Look at chapter 12 and verse 18. He says there, if possible… I mean, sometimes it's impossible to settle your disagreement if the other person totally refuses to cooperate, but he says, if it's possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with half the people that you know. doesn't say that. Be at peace with all people. Look at chapter 14 and verse 19. Chapter 14, verse 19 of Romans, he says, So then, we pursue, we chase after, we run after the things which make for peace and the building up of one another. Now, I understand that at times there may be an eternal principle at stake. Let's say, for example, I believe that the Bible is inspired and in its original content was without error. Well, what if I have somebody else who has a disagreement with me and they want to go, oh, no, the Bible is full of mistakes and errors. Let me just start to talk about all of that. And and we're having a disagreement. Well, that's an eternal principle that's at stake. I'm not budging on that. You're not going to get me to back off because that is an eternal principle. But you see, most of our conflict is not like that. I mean, most of our conflict is around personal preferences, different perspectives that we have about things. And I want us to understand when he says here, settle your disagreement, live in harmony, it's not a call to uniformity, that we're to be totally identical in every way. It's a call to unity. It's not a call to agree about everything. It's a call to be agreeable with one another. And I want you to notice, if you go back and look at that verse, he says, I urge Euodia and urge Syntyche to live in harmony, and then there's a key phrase added on, in the Lord. Remember what it says in chapter 2 and verse 2? This subject matter has come up before. He says there in chapter 2, verse 2, he says, make my joy complete. He's appealing to them by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. It's almost like he's saying to them, live in harmony in the Lord. I mean, both of you possess the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. That's great grounds for unity. Christ died for both of you. And it's almost like he's saying to them, Get off your high horse. Step down from looking down your nose at the other person and head over 
to the foot of the cross. Because that's really your basis for unity. And by the way, I believe that the key to dismantling disunity and rebuilding unity is that we need to be like Jesus. Remember, we looked at that in chapter 2, verses 3 to 5. Remember what it says there? Think about this in, in, in the context of a conflict. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind... Remember this other's first mentality that Jesus had and that we're to have? With humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Have this attitude in your life, which was also in Christ Jesus. I wonder what would happen in conflicts and disagreements if we had the attitude, the other person first. Their interests more important than our own. Real common theme in the New Testament. Look over one book here to Ephesians chapter 4, verses 2 and 3. We see this coming up again and again. This is God's will that we operate this way. Verse 2, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. You can just feel the atmosphere of conflict that's there. And if we are going to diffuse disharmony, the first thing we need to do, the first element is make it a priority. Very important. This has to become a high priority. Second element in diffusing disharmony that we see back in Philippians chapter 4 is utilize help. Utilize help. Look at verse 3 again. Indeed, true companion, I ask you also to help these women who have shared my struggle in the cause of the gospel together with Clement also and the rest of my fellow workers. You see, men and women, sometimes the truth of the matter is we're too close to the situation. We're very subjective. We see things through our own viewpoint, and there is a value that can come in a disagreement and a conflict in involving a third party. A third party brings objectivity. There is wisdom in a spiritual counselor helping us to solve a disagreement. And notice he says here in in verse 3, true companion I ask you to help these women. Uh, Some translations say, true yoke fellow. And you think, well, what's a yoke fellow? Well, it's just a picture of that yoke where you would have, you know, two oxen in it. And someone who's a yoke fellow is someone who's in the yoke with you. The idea here is, hey, teammate, partner in the ministry, Someone who is a true partner with us in serving Jesus Christ. I want you to help these women. Now, who is this actually referring to? Well, we really don't know for sure. Some scholars believe that this true companion, this one who is the partner and team member in the ministry, was the the leader of the church who would receive this letter that Paul was writing. 
Other scholars believe that it's probably a reference to Epaphroditus. We saw him earlier in the letter, and you might remember Epaphroditus is going to physically carry the letter back to the church. And so the appeal would be to Epaphroditus. But the key principle is utilize help. Utilize help. Utilize a mediator, someone who is a good listener, who is an honest evaluator. And by the way, you know what that means? That means that all of us need to step up in the church family and be willing to assist people in resolving conflicts. What often happens? We are aware of some individuals that are having a conflict, and we just sort of look over at them and wonder when they're going to deal with that. Part of what this is saying is maybe the Holy Spirit wants us to be involved in lending a hand, to say, listen, let me meet with the two of you. And let's talk through this, and let's find some resolution to it. And it also means, I believe, that we all need to seek assistance when it's necessary. Why would we get high-centered and we can't solve the problem? Don't let it fester. Utilize help. If we're going to choose to diffuse disharmony, several elements are involved in that. Number one, we need to make it a priority. Number two, we need to utilize help. Number three, and by the way, this is maybe the most important one of all, so you can put several stars by it, keep perspective. Keep perspective. We see that in verse 4. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Now, that is a verse that we've heard quoted a lot Some of us maybe have memorized it, but it's been yanked totally out of the context. What is the context here? It's a context of conflict and disharmony. And here's something very important that we need to understand, men and women. An unforgiving, grudge-carrying spirit is a joy-stealer from your life. Trust me, I know. An unforgiving, grudge-carrying spirit is a joy-stealer. What we need is right perspective. And so he says very clearly there, rejoice in the Lord always. Now, here's what he's not saying. He's not saying, hey, never have feelings of sadness. That's not what he's saying. He's saying we need to always consistently have right perspective. The word rejoice here in the original is a command. So you just can't command feelings. Rejoice in the Lord. Now, a skeptic might come along and say, yeah, yeah, that's really going to be a lot of help in the midst of a conflict. How unpractical can anybody get? You know what? It's very practical. He says that we need to keep perspective. Rejoice in the Lord always. And then he says, as if we would be very skeptical about that, again, I say rejoice. He's saying, don't miss this. Don't miss the importance in a conflict of having right perspective. Now, I want to remind you, as Paul is writing this, he is not sitting at Starbucks, lounging in a corner booth, surfing the net. As he writes these words, he is 
chained to some soldiers. He is imprisoned. What's the future outcome? He doesn't know. Is he going to be freed or is he going to stay chained? Is he going to live or will he be executed and will he die? And with all of that conflict going on in his life, he says, rejoice in the Lord. Key phrase there. See, it's not just rejoice, it's rejoice in the Lord. You know, when you're in the middle of squabbles, they seem to be so big. But what he's really saying to us is we need to have perspective. Rejoice in the Lord. You see, there's nothing as significant as being declared, being forgiven by God. There's nothing as significant as being named an heir with the Son of God. There's nothing as significant as the God of all of the universe turning to you and calling you His friend. There's nothing as significant as being guaranteed a future destiny after we take our last breath. There's nothing as significant as having God's truth actually in our hands. There's nothing as significant as the Holy Spirit being resident inside of your life and the Holy Spirit's power being available to you and I in our heart. See, that's what he means when he says rejoice in the Lord. Get some perspective about all of this. You know, you begin to get some perspective, and then you think about the conflict, and you say, what's really the big issue here? What's really the big issue? We need to have right perspective. And he goes on to talk about how these individuals' names in verse 3 are written in the book of life. In other words, Yodia and Syntyche, their names are in heaven's residency registry. They're going to be spending eternity together. Get some perspective. And here's a great question that you ought to write this one down. It's a great question to ask when you're dealing with a disagreement and a squabble and a conflict. Here is the question. In view of eternity... How critical is this conflict? A great question to ask. In view of eternity, how critical is this conflict? It's amazing when you just ask that question, how your perspective changes. I want you to think about, again, that current conflict or recent conflict and think about the face that came to your mind And then think about that question. In view of eternity, how critical was that conflict? Here's a second question you can ask yourself when you find yourself in the midst of a squabble is this. Is God's honor my top priority? Is God's honor my top priority? You know, at the end of verse 5, he makes this little statement, the Lord is near, I think pointing to his soon return. And that's a perspective that we need to have. 
Go with me to the right in your Bible, past the uh, long book of Hebrews to the book of James, and I want you to see how this theme, these principles appear in several locations. James chapter 5 and verse 8 and verse 9, and again, this I think is in the con the context of some conflict that's going on. He says in verse 8, you too be patient. Strengthen your hearts for the coming of the Lord is near. Now watch verse 9. Do not complain, brethren, against one another so that you yourselves may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing right at the door. We could soon be face to face with the Lord. And we're involved in this squabble. We're involved in this conflict. Can you imagine if suddenly the Lord comes back and He says, Bruce, I just want to ask you a question. I know I came here right in the middle of this little thing that's happening with you. Can I just ask you the question, was my honor your top priority in that conflict? Now, right right about now, you know, some of us are thinking, wait a second now. I got the conflict in my mind, and I want you to know something. This is not my fault. Ah, this is not my fault we're involved in this. It's not fair for it just to be resolved. That's not fair for it to happen that way. Let me just remind you, if that is a response that you might have emotionally, just think about one person, and that is the person of the Lord Jesus. Did He operate with that mentality? I'm not going to initiate anything for mankind. It's not my fault that they got themselves in this pickle. It's not fair that me being a righteous person should have to die for unrighteous people. He didn't go around saying, it's not my fault. It's not fair. You see, He set aside His prerogatives for you and for me. His divine prerogatives He laid aside for us. He was others-oriented. He decided to suffer for you and for me. It was not His fault. It was not fair. So it's very important that we need to remember to keep perspective. Why did Jesus do what He did? Why did He do what He did even though it was not fair? It was not His fault. because He loved. That's why. And we learn from 1 Peter 4, 8 that love covers a multitude of sins. Choose to diffuse disharmony. Elements involved in that. Number one, we need to make it a priority. Number two, utilize help. Number three, oh, a lot of stars by number three. Keep perspective. And then number four, if we're going to diffuse disharmony, be considerate. Be considerate. Notice verse 5, let your gentle spirit be known to all men. This word that is translated here, gentle spirit, occurs five times in the New Testament. I'll show you one other place and make a reference to another place that it occurs. Turn with me to the right. Past First and Second Thessalonians and First and Second Timothy to Titus, and in Titus chapter three, verse two, this word occurs, 
And again, you can just kind of feel the conflict context. And he says to us as believers, in verse 2, that we are to malign no one, to be peaceable, gentle, that's our same word, showing every consideration for all men. We are to have a gentle spirit. Uh, same word is used in 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 3 where you have a list of qualifications for an elder, which I believe are all marks of maturity. A mark of a mature person is that they are gentle, that they have a gentle spirit. It's a very difficult word to translate into English. It means to be kind. It means to be considerate. It means to be charitable. It means to be gracious. One scholar put it this way, someone who is gentle responds to injustice and maltreatment without malice. Malice is a desire to do harm or to wish another person to suffer. And we are to be gentle. That's so counter because, you see, when someone has wronged us or we're having this conflict, I mean, deep down inside, we want them to suffer. Well, this is the opposite of that. Being gentle is the opposite of being harsh. It's the opposite of being contentious. It's the opposite of being rude and abrasive. If I could give you just a little Bruce Hess translation, it would probably go something like this, be nice, not nasty. <laughs> Someone who is gentle and, and considerate has patience with the faults and failures of others. There are people who say, you know what? I got my own set of faults, and I've got my own set of failures. Now, when we, when we talk about having a gentle spirit, he's not talking about being spineless. <laughs> That's not the idea. He's talking about being gracious. He's talking about being selfless. He's talking about being forbearing with people. In 400 B.C., the Old Testament was written in Hebrew. They translated into Greek. And in Psalm 86, verse 5, part of the Hebrew there is translated with the same word, gentle. And in this passage, David is talking about God. And when it comes to that particular word, the word gentle, here's the way it's translated in Psalm 86.5. God, you are ready to forgive. God is like that. He's gentle, considerate, ready to forgive. And we are to be like that. Is that descriptive of you? Is that descriptive of me? Now, I want to share with you very quickly some practical indicators and earmarks of someone who is gentle, someone who is considerate. The first earmark or indicator of someone who is considerate is that they don't judge motives. Whoa. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 5, you can turn there if you want. I'm going to read it pretty quickly. But the idea there is, is that we need to not pass judgment on the motives of others because the idea is that's God's business. 
And yet, what do we do? We tend to try to determine what their motive was, why they said that, why they did that. Someone who is considerate and gentle doesn't judge motives. Someone who is considerate and gentle displays a heart of humility. You know, Jesus said, I am gentle and humble in heart. You know, there is, a, there is a central source, a core cause of most conflicts. I strongly am suspicious that it was involved in the conflict between Yodia and Syntyche. Very common central source and core cause of most conflicts, and that is the P word. Pride. See, a lot of times... Pride is out to win. I'm going to win this. And so you end up with a stubborn standoff when you have two people who are proudly defending their turf. And humility is to permeate our attitudes and our actions even in conflict and even in disagreement. Remember again what he says in chapter 2, verses 3 to 5? Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Don't look out for your own interests, but also for the interests of others. That's the attitude that Christ had, so should we. There's a quote that I came across a while back that I really like. It says this, No one has ever choked on swallowed pride. It's so true. Never happened, ever, that anyone choked on swallowed pride. And I want you to notice in chapter 4 and verse 5, he says, Let your gentle spirit be known to all men, to all people. In other words, translation, this is to be our everyday lifestyle, that we would be considerate, that we would be gentle. Choose to diffuse disharmony. Four elements. Number one, make it a priority. Number two, utilize help. Number three, keep perspective. Number four, be considerate. Now, let's talk about some life response that we can have having looked at all of this. Some ways we can begin to apply this immediately this next week. First life response, I would suggest, evaluate your own heart. When you've had it up to your eyeballs with people, is the best time to look in the mirror. It's good if, if you're in the middle of a conflict to ask that question in view of eternity, how critical is this conflict? And in most cases, it's going to shrink down in importance. Number one, evaluate your own heart. Number two, take the initiative. Take the initiative. Matthew 18, 15. If your brother sins against you, go. Take off. Take the initiative. Romans 12, 19. So far as it depends on you, take the initiative. And I believe, I believe, 
that the outcome with Yodia and Syntyche would have been very different if either one of them took the initiative to deal with the conflict and the disagreement. Third, evaluate your own heart, take the initiative. Third, be a peacemaker. Jesus said in Matthew 5, 9, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the sons of God. They're the ones who are like I am, says God. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you again for the living book that we hold in our hands and for the practicality of it because we all deal with these issues. We all deal with issues of conflict and so forth. And May we be men and women who are like you, who are peacemakers in our everyday life and our relationships with those with whom we live those within the church, yes, even with with all people. And may Jesus Christ be honored as we do that. And we pray things in his name. Amen.